Someone said to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What does it mean to be saved? We talked before about the Greek word that pops up here, the verb sozo. It gets used at other times by Jesus to talk about healing, but in a more complete sense of wholeness, not just the healing of the body, but something more goes on. One of the best examples of that is the story of the healing of the ten lepers, where you have the ten who come to Jesus, all of them at his word head off to show themselves to the priest. All obey his word. All of them are healed of the leprosy. Ayaomai is the word that's used for the healing. They're all cleansed of the state of their skin. Katharitso, the cleansing. But one of the ten, when he sees that he is healed, comes back to Jesus to give thanks. Pours out his praise before God, his worship of God. To him, Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. So it's so has saved you. There's something more that's there, and it's particularly in that response to Jesus. It's bound up with the relation to him. Well, of course, in our gospel today, the word is being used not of a physical healing, but is pointing towards that eternal salvation, that final wholeness with the Lord. It's that same term, and it likewise is bound up with the person of Jesus, with the relationship to him. What does it mean to be saved, to enter into that that saving relationship with Jesus? To know the wholeness ultimately of, of body, mind, and spirit. Evangelical Protestants often raise that question. Well, are you saved? Have you been saved? And sometimes people are a little bit confused as to, well, what's the answer? What are they asking? about. Well, fundamentally, they're asking, have you said yes to Jesus? Have you invited him to be your Lord, to be your personal savior, to save you from your sins, to bring you into eternal life? Have you made that commitment? A really important question. It is at the heart of our faith. Often what's in mind, though, is that there would be a point in time where you pray that sinner's prayer where you could mark This is when I became a Christian. This is when I knew I had eternal life with Christ. And I don't for a moment want to to discount the importance of that opening the door of saying yes, responding to the Lord's knock. But when we talk about this whole business, we're talking about the things that the church has much to say about. The need in our lives to be reconciled to God to deal with the state of sin into which we're born, the sin that separates us from God. And as God is our life and the one we're created to be with, what separates us from him leaves us in that state of death. There's an acknowledgement in any language of salvation that we don't save ourselves, that we need the grace of God. We need what Christ has won through his cross the way that he's opened out of death and into life. 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul sets out fundamentals of the gospel. 
He says, this is what I've received, what I'm passing on. He says specifically that this is the gospel by which you are saved if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. The essentials, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures in fulfillment of his word, of his promises. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to chosen witnesses, beginning with the apostles, hundreds of others, and last of all, to Paul himself. Think that our witness to the gospel, on one hand, always involves the content of the message, but it also involves how that touches our lives. The fact that there are faithful witnesses, most importantly, always, in a witness to the gospel is, how does that touch me? What difference has that made in my life? That's what people look for. That's that personal testimony. But essential to the gospel, the understanding that Christ died for our sins, not that it was our sin and our foolishness that killed him, pure and simple, that our sin was that we put him to death, but that he died to deal with sin, that gap between us and God, the state into which we're born, our inheritance from the first man and the woman in the garden, that state of our mortality. The simple meaning of the word to be mortal is that we die, that we age, that we suffer, that we suffer that separation of body and soul and the separation from God. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. You remember back in the garden that story that is on the one hand so simple and yet so profound, the devil mocking the word of God as he always does, the very clear word of God, the truth that in the day you eat of that fruit, the day that you choose to walk away from me to go your own way, to be your own gods, you will die. Well, you won't surely die. And of course, they don't fall dead on the spot, but they become mortal. Death begins to take hold of their lives. They do age and suffer and die. We've, as it were, found ourselves consigned to that pit, and there is no way that we can extricate ourselves There's no way that we can reclaim life. Christ enters in in order to raise us up out of that place, to save us from that sin, to save us from death. I had been doing the children's video this week. I've been talking about you're walking along, you come to the edge and you're falling into a pit, into a hole, and I were to grab you and pull you back, well, I've saved you from harm. I've saved you from falling in. If it's a particularly deep drop, I may be saving your life, saving you from death, but I can't save you eternally. One day you'll still die. And maybe if you're one of those sorts, you'll wander right back to the edge again and you'll fall off sometime when I'm not there to pull you back anyway. The promise of the gospel, though, is not that the Lord keeps us from falling in, but that he raises us from the dead. He doesn't keep us from dying, but meets us in our death and raises us up to life. In fact, he himself does not simply remain alive. He dies and is raised up. We go back to what we've talked about often in the Easter mystery. 
that again, the life that goes down into the grave in some sense is what's raised up, but in another profound sense, what goes down is mortal. What is raised up is transformed into the immortal. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will talk about the perishable nature being put off and we put on the imperishable. The mortal is put off. We put on immortality in him. In fact, when he talked to Nicodemus, well, he talked about the way into the kingdom being to believe in the Son of God. He spoke about that belief involving more than just an intellectual assent to things about Jesus, but an actual commitment of the life to him, putting our trust and faith in him such that we're born again of him, a new life, a new birth, a new spiritual birth, a birth from above of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless he is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into that kingdom, into that life. The church has always understood that as having to do with our baptism into Christ. Baptism, an essential part of this whole business of entering into the mystery. Some would see that as just the church's teaching after the fact, but we have no less authority than Jesus himself. End of St. Mark's Gospel, he sends his apostles to preach the Gospel to every creature, to the whole creation. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. So so. Those who don't believe will be condemned. He's, the risen Christ, the end of Matthew's Gospel, likewise sends them out to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always to the ending of the world. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes and fills the disciples gathered together, Peter preaches his inspired message, and many are cut to the heart and respond, Well, brethren, what what must we do? And his response is, Repent. Be baptized in to the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, receive the Holy Spirit. Baptized into Christ, be incorporated into his body and this new life. Well, some will respond, but it's not just about an, an empty ritual. It's, you know, children are being baptized who can't repent of their sins. How does all of that work? How does that fit with this response to him? with our real repentance, with our committing our lives to Jesus. Well, on one hand, the empty ritual doesn't do anything. It's not magic. It's not us just going through a form to manipulate God into giving us something. But we enter into faith. God acts by his grace according to his promise. But even from that evangelical presentation, The word is not simply that God saves us by what he has done, but he has given us that gift of salvation. We need to receive it. We need to open the door to his knocking. We need to respond in faith. The church brings those who are to be baptized into Christ, brings them to him that they might enter into that mystery. No infants can't make the promises themselves, but the church does. 
parents and godparents to see the children brought up in that faith. And let's be honest, every one of us who is baptized into Christ becomes an infant in Christ. We begin with a new birth in Him. doesn't matter how aware you were of what you thought you were doing. The mystery of entering into Christ is far more than we can comprehend. An old friend of mine said one time that it was dawning on him that the way of the gospel was, was simple. As simple as saying yes to Jesus, but wasn't really easy because it demands everything. It's, it's the ongoing offering of our lives. And accordingly, the whole business of entering into that saving grace in the Lord involves entry into the whole life in Him. Again, Jesus Himself spoke of the need not just to be baptized into that new life, but also to feed upon His body and blood, to be nourished by the life that He gives within His church. Saying, in fact, very bluntly, that unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of His blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Again, the church has always understood that this is the Holy Communion, the Eucharist that we're talking about. The way in which the Lord, in the most tangible of ways, gives himself to us. But once more, this saving grace comes in our relationship with the living Lord. Not just believing things about him, but committing ourselves to him in faith. Receiving what he has for us. I have encountered those again in some of the the arguments from across the spectrum of church denominations, those who will say, but I know Christians who have committed themselves to Jesus, have faith in him, but know nothing of Holy Communion, know nothing of sacraments of the church, and yet I'm confident that they know Christ as Lord, that they have received that life in him, and I expect to see them in heaven. And on one level, of course, that's God's business. It's Christ alone who saves us. I do think about two things, though, about further in Scripture, St. Paul talking about there being no foundation we can build upon except Christ. The testing comes in what we use to build, how we build on that. You know, on, with wood or straw or precious stones, all of it will be tested by fire, but those who are building on Christ, that will stand. And... I believe that the good building that he has given us is the life of the church and the sacramental life to nourish us in the faith. I also think you can live, you can survive on bread and water. I don't know how long you can survive on it. I've never tried it for extended periods. Um, But I know that we are meant, if our bodies are to flourish, to have all of the, the vitamins and nutrients and whatever all we need, in order to live that full life for our bodies to thrive in this world. And Christ gives us that life in his church. He wants us to be filled with his life. He wants us to feed on the daily bread. And there's an intimate connection between that daily bread and Christ giving himself to us. 
He is the true bread who comes down from heaven. One way or the other, we know that we're not yet there. Even as we lay hold of His saving grace, I think it's often helpful to think about the confidence that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. We are to know Him as Lord and Savior. We are to lay hold of His promises. And in that sense, to know that here and now, as we trust in Him, we are saved. But also to understand that when we come into Christ, we come as infants in the Lord, and we need to grow up in that faith. And there is a sense in which we are being saved through the whole of our lives, growing up into the fullness of that mystery which is always the reminder when infants come to be baptized, when adults come to be baptized, that there's a growing up into the faith. I don't care how old you are, even if you've been a believer all your life and faithfully serving Jesus, I hope that you can confidently say that you're discovering every day more and more of what it is to be His own, what it is to have that life in Him how to grow more in His grace. And we still know that this flesh and bone will fail, that this is still a mortal frame. Christ raised from the dead puts on that immortality. The body is transformed, and one day we shall be like Him, but first we die of this mortal life and then are raised in Him. And then we can say that we will be saved as we enter into the fullness of that life eternal in Him. Because He has promised, we know that He will do what He has said He will do. He is trustworthy and true. There will be that day when the perishable shall put on the imperishable, the mortal put on the immortal. And then that saying will be true that death is swallowed up in victory. The way is narrow because it is only in Christ who is the door. The one who says He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. I don't think His words in the Gospel were to have us calculating the numbers, figuring out how few and how many they are, to decide who's coming in and who isn't, but to pray really that all of us would put off whatever hinders, that we would come to that way, that we would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because that's where our salvation is, that we would grow up into our baptism in Him, that we would grow up in that saving grace and the life of His church, that we would come one day according to His promise into the fullness of life in Him. And that is the fullness of salvation. There we are made whole in body, mind, and spirit. There we are united with Him, with the Father, and the Holy Ghost is ever one God, world without end. Amen.